Bricklicks.com podcast. Today I've got with me Josh Sacco, or aka Cigarette Burns. Hello, Josh. Hello. And how are you this fine evening? I'm I'm lovely. Having had a wonderful dinner, I'm fine. Yes. Yeah. Not every interviewee gets that treat, <laughs> but yes, I do like to treat friends to uh, to a little bit of nosh if they uh, if they come over to the house. Um, so what are we what are we what are we sitting down here with the microphones for? What we come to discuss? Um, so uh, I'm putting on. Uh, a Pete Walker retrospective season at the Barbican called House of Walker, which is sort of highlighting. And when's that taking place? Uh, November. F- it's every Saturday in November, so it's November first, eighth, fifteenth, twenty second, and twenty ninth. Well done there. Well done on your maths. It's at four p.m. Uh, every Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so you can travel in from wherever you are and get home at a reasonable time, or spend the evening in the lovely London. So what films of his are going to be shown as part of this season? We've got uh, The Comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, with it, they're not quite in an order, per se. Yeah. Uh, they are, but they're not. Um, they, we've got The Comeback, House of Whipcord, Cool It Carol, House of Mortal Sin, and Frightmare, of course. Okay. Um, not in that actual order, because I said it backwards. Okay. I'm wrong. So, in, in terms of what you... Do you want to take us through each film and give us a, a synopsis of what they are? And, and, and as an event, what's going to be happening as part of showing that film? Yeah, so the, the comeback is the first one, and that's... Uh, I'm going to be introducing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of... It's about this... really horrible rock and roll star who's not... He's not horrible, it's just his character is... Yeah, yeah. Is, isn't horrible either just kind of it's kind of like Barry Manilow really? yeah but he's billed as a rock and roll star <laughs> I, I don't know um, it's, yeah it's it's pretty awful uh, he, he is the rest of the film's great mm. but anyway um, I think it was well, I won't get into that anyway the the comeback is kind of uh, it, he comes back from a period away he's just getting over his relationship the end of his relationship uh, his uh, manager wants him to get back on board with recording and promoting this album and he doesn't really want to do that and he just kind of needs some quiet time but unbeknownst to him his wife has been murdered in his house oh no um, and but he's got like as with most of Walker's films they all kind of seem to well certainly within this revolve around a house so he, he's spending some time away at this kind of like retreat to kind of get his head together and Hmm. put stuff on and and meanwhile all these weird goings on are happening people are dying getting killed and um and it's basically kind of walker's giallo um i guess yeah so it's it's a british it's it's a british giallo i mean there aren't i'm trying to think because i kind of want to do a side season of like non-italian giallos okay um and this would fall into that Ah, okay. So what else uh, can you talk about House so, of Mortal Sin? Yeah, House of Mortal Sin will have um, McGillivray's, uh, David McGillivray, who worked with Pete Walker uh, on three or four different films as his writer. Yeah. Um, so McGillivray wrote 
um, House of Mortal Sin, uh, as well as Frightmare and House Whipcord. Mm-hmm. Um, so McGillivray will come down and be having a chat with Kim Newman uh, for Mortal Sin, which is about a priest who just is basically completely corrupt and mm-hmm. has fallen God about... God forbid they exist. Yeah. <laughs> fallen, <laughs> fallen about as far from, from the pious post as he possibly can um, and is leching after a woman while he's locked his decrepit mother in the attic. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it's... But, I mean, that's sort of the thing with Walker is he, he, he finds these really horrible situations and just makes them the situations that you can't necessarily relate to but you can identify as happening in the world around you and mm. then, uh, which is then followed by Cooler Carol which will be introduced by Matthew Sweet um, uh, Cooler Carol is sort of one Who's of Matthew his, Sweet? Matthew Sweet's a writer and broadcaster Okay um, and he uh, Cooler Carol is this fantastic sort of nasty sexploitation film uh, starring Robin Asquith okay. uh, about this sort of home county's little you know know nothing couple um, who come to London to make it big and Asquith's kind of like you know real jack the lad like oh mm. and you quite quickly realise that he he knows absolutely fuck all and he just kind of wants to get it on with Carol and prove how great he is <laughs> uh, but she's kind of more with it and comes into town and gets a bit mixed up in like the sex scene in in London and slowly that becomes their main source of income as they fall into this seedy disgusting little spiral of of uh, sex and and awkwardness right and then we'll have um, the house of whipcord where um, Pete Walker will be down with Jonathan Rigby and Jonathan Rigby Jonathan Rigby again is a uh, he's an he's an actor um, speaker writer okay um, all around really good chap okay cool and, uh, uh, and what, what do we think House of Whipcord's about then um, House of Whipcord's kind of about this this girl who gets sucked into this world weird world of of, of you know the past where she's again tricked into going into this house uh, which ends up being kind of I guess a correctional facility for women that's run by this like retired old blind judge Mm. um and his wife who's sort of the matron like sadistic ilsa warden um who creates you know random punishment like he punishes them she executes the punishments um but she sort of sets up all the girls for this again it's back to this kind of this this incredibly seedy um, underbelly of, of, of nastiness that Walker has, this kind of questioning of authority figures and um, uh, just, you know, ripping things straight out of, of sensationalist headlines. Mm. Um, and, you know, questioning the judicial system and, you know, you've got mortal sin with, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the clergy and situations there. Um, and then finally we have you know the absolute classic Frightmare um, which will be introduced again by Jonathan Rigby and that's about a girl who's kind of trying to keep her family together um, 
her mother and father have just been released from her mother's been deemed healthy by social services and has been released from a mental institution um and she's got this kind of tearaway younger sister that she's trying to control while she keeps her mother kind of slightly in line uh and keeps her mother on a steady diet of human flesh so Sheila Keith plays a, a fantastic cannibal in, in Frightmare. So, I mean, the obvious question is, why do a retrospective season on Pete Walker? What is it about his work, do you think, that deserves this, this kind of attention? Well, I think, you know, between, is it, I think, 68 and 77... 67 it's 11 years hmm. um, so maybe 67 or 78 yeah. um, he did uh, 17 16 films really yeah wow so he was prolific yeah I mean he just went fucking hell for leather was hmm. just like whack 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 you know obviously he came back for House of Long Shadows in 83 which was kind of the only film that he didn't which was another amazing thing here's a guy who in the course of these 11 years hmm. Um, he directed and produced, um, and I, you know, and, and you know, he, he definitely has a hand in, you know, penning a lot of this stuff, right? Um, which isn't to take any credit for anybody else, but um, you know, he worked with a lot of the same um, cast and crew throughout, right? Uh, so come back and cool a carol written by the same person. Um, Mortal Sin and Whipcord and Frightmare are written by the same person so it's you know and he's 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 always got the same people around him he's kind of controlling this little Pete Walker machine mm. that's charging forward um, and they're all you know self-financed famously much like is it Roger Corman who swears he never lost a dime on mm. any of his films Pete Walker says I never lost a penny on any of my films um, so these were hitting the cinemas in the 70s though. yeah 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 they were you know they were running through Soho and you know in the early days he was doing sexploitation more mm. more straight sexploitation he moved on to kind of um, Man of Violence which I guess kind of eases us you know 71 Man of Violence early 71 maybe 70 which came out recently on BFI okay um, flip side worth, worth seeing uh, that sort of kind of paves the way for not paves the way, but it, it's it's an early British gangster flick. Hmm. Um, and then he went on to Dice Cream and Marianne, which is more of a straight thriller. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of really gets his feet under the table with what he terms as his terror films. Um, because they are more terror. I mean, there's no supernatural elements in any of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all kind of... Um, terrifying things that are happening that are being done by human beings because they're corrupt in some way yeah um and you know <clears throat> i like to say that it's like you know he's overly sensationalistic he's he's you know he's ripping the films from like daily mail headlines right that is what it is you know he's going Right, like with Cool at Carol, don't go to London. If you go to London, you'll get sucked into the sex scene. If you're a young girl, next thing you know, you'll be shagging five guys and, you mm. know, and you'll be doing porn and loops and stuff like that. So, you know, and it's it's sort of like, you know, and here's the scary priest who, uh, 
you know, is, is, you know, feeling up all the girls and, you know, it, it, the whole way through all of these films, you kind of see that sensationalistic kind of nastiness. And, you know, I mean, Britain had this massive, massive output during the 70s that we just completely, you know, overlook, mm. whether it's we're busy looking at, at Europe or we're looking at, at America. But there's a little, I think there's a, maybe there's a little bit of embarrassment about calling it calling this a British cultural product. I think there's a lot of people that don't like to admit because it's because not it's not like you say if it's, if he's if he's if he's ripping culturally the headlines that would have come off the Daily Mail. It's interesting that nothing's changed as in a sense. They're not. I mean, these films are so relevant now. Yeah. Like in Cool It Carol, there's and you know I'm not gonna say that this could happen or has happened, but there's an interesting scene where Carol is just a real quick one but uh, where Carol is is dressed up as a schoolgirl mm. um, while she's a prostitute uh, in the Houses of Parliament <laughs> and you're like yeah you know this this still resonates now yeah you know of course something like that would never happen god god I can't imagine it no but um, you know so and just I think so why now? Like, you know, I mean, it's to be really fatalistic about it. These people are alive; they're here, mm. you know. And they, you know, we're losing kind of every single day. Somebody posts another R.I.P. on Facebook, and you know, mm. about some great that we've lost. And um, you know, I know that Walker himself just, you know, kind of feels like this is a thing I did, mm. and that's cool, and that was fun. I do other stuff now. Yeah, you know. Um, but you know there's no reason not to kind of look back and say okay well you know the US has say Carpenter or Craven or whatever Hmm. it's like well Britain had this guy you know who unlike a lot of other people who were maybe caught up in studio machines be it Hammer or Tygon or whatever that these things were you know or Amicus these were these were beasts that were controlled by you know producers and stuff Hmm. and Walker went no you know I'm just going to do my own thing you know and he he, what was his background before coming into into cinema he he did a lot of loops work so he his background he got his his, he got his start doing you know 8 mil porn loops okay and selling them on to private screening stuff and and Soho and so he had his you know he was he was there but he didn't you know it wasn't until uh, Frightmare which was quite late um, it was one of his, his later films 74 maybe oh, mm. somebody will tell me I'm wrong on that um, but it wasn't until like kind of you know he'd already been doing several of these mm. that <clears throat> he got on board with uh, Tony Tenser who had done all the Tygon stuff yeah and so Tygon wrapped up and him and Tenser kind of had a chat and whatever and so they Tensor said, "Look, you know, Tensor again was was sort of one of those people who was quite hands on with his productions, but felt that Walker knew it. He was doing enough that he was like, all right, I'll exec this, mm. but I'm not gonna get too involved.' Yeah. So he let kind of you know, you know that's sort of the f- the the first time that Walker started to work with somebody else, mm. um, and then later on um, he was brought back in '83 with Canon." got him to do House of Long Shadows, which right. is 
um, an incredibly bizarre film. It's really strange. It, I mean, it's it's quite hypnotic because you've got um, was it Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, um, uh, Sheila Keith, and John Carradine. I'll take your word for it. John Carradine, yeah. Um, all in kind of like the same room together, acting together, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, to see these like kind of these three greats of of horror cinema, four greats of horror cinema, kind of all together. Um, but it's still a really odd film, uh, and it opens up with the you know our hero kind of driving in a car, going, "Do I really have to do this again?" Mm. You know, which you kind of wonder is that you know five years from the last time Walker made a film he's back working with somebody else and the opening line of the film is our, you know, our guy going, do I need to do this again? <laughs> and like, all right, well, let's see where this goes. Um, but I think, you know, he, he brings, he, he's someone I think we should look at and his films remain relevant. I think they got caught up in that period where people just sort of was, you know, were assuming that these films were made for, you know, idiot uh, and nobody ever really respected the well, I, would add, I would add idiots and per, I would add perverts yeah yeah that. definitely I, yeah I, and, and and it was interesting because it was a long time before from hearing about the films to and I've only seen three of them is that they're not nearly as smutty as I imagined they were going to be they like you said you used the word terrifying before they are more about imagining these worlds because they're, they're they're a little bit escapist I think yeah like they're, they're may, they may be using they may be using Daily Mail headlines to sort of exaggerate a situation, but certainly if you think of House of Whipcord, that's that's a nightmare, isn't it, really, in every sense. It's sort of someone's just took a, a wrong turn and ended up in this yeah. world. That, that could be all in a head, in a way. It doesn't necessarily mean what you see is real, but but clearly it plays out because it's just so it's so weird and perverted in itself, but none of it is sort of about nudity or... But it's also, I mean, it's got the you know the sadistic under you know the sadistic elements. So it is. You're right. I mean, it is totally perverted and perverse. And but it's having a go at the. It's saying something about the British stuff. That's something he said before, isn't it? Yeah. So he's always having a go because basically Walker is just a big joker. Mm. You know, he is just kind of pushing buttons and he's seeing how far he can go with stuff. Mm. He is, you know, I mean, there's a book called it, uh, and Walker himself says. I was just making mischief. Okay. You know, I he he, which I mean, is a rare quality in this day and age. I think it's not necessarily something people go out on a limb to do, is it? I think, and you know, I, I, I might get in trouble for this, actually, but I think that he, you know, I think, I think he's actively saying that just to kind of separate himself in mm. a way, and I think even saying that now is him making mischief mm. because he's obviously, you know, he's a very intelligent man. He was able to do really good stuff. He was able to tap into a market um, and have audiences respond in a way. I mean, you know, Frightmare didn't take the world by storm the way they wanted it to. But, you know, if he's never lost money on a picture, then he's a smart, intelligent, shrewd businessman. Um, and there's, you know, and, and he has proven to be. But... Um, you know, and there's just kind of sort of no way that he he blindly makes these films, mm. um, which are quite sharp. You know, sometimes nasty commentaries on the world around him. Mm. 
even if it's done through the guise of just a bit of fun yeah you know um there is there's a lot of stuff going on and 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 i think that's kind of the thing that's like you know when they came out in the 70s it was like yeah these weren't for this wasn't highbrow art you know mm. and i'm not i wouldn't say for a moment any of it is art i think it's social commentary i think it's interesting i think it's you know worth revisiting but i think art house and grindhouse when when they do sort of rub along with each other don't they sometimes yeah, no there's i would never use art with walker really yeah I, I mean, he's got a great, you know, he's got a good eye. He knows what he's doing. He's a technician. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I, I think he's possibly too functional to, you know, I mean, a classic for me, it, it, that kind of blurs that line of, you know, all right, whatever. I mean, I was, I was going to say thriller, but... Um, the art films, you know, whether they're Argento at his best or whatever. Hmm. Um, I don't really think that's art, but... Um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean necessarily to sort of think of this as like, it's picking up the baton where, you know, French New Wave left off yeah. or anything. All I mean is that here we are in 2014, 40 years on, and it has a value as, as a piece of work, whereas at the time, it would have just been written off as exploitation cinema. Yeah. And what I mean is, is because it, it stood alone, as, as being part of a British... Is, being, the, there hasn't been a lot of copyists, has there? there wasn't a lot of, at the time, he didn't have copyists. No. In the same way that you could go with Confessions, you would have had the other output, say what Sullivan was putting out, as yeah. like more close of porn and stuff. There was more serious cinema going on, so you would get Get Carter and you would get Long Friday and you had the studio system of Hammer and Hammerkins. But certainly his, the reason they've maybe stood the test of time is because they, they, they only awkwardly fit yeah, in yeah. The moment in time is all I mean. And so yeah. Now they've got a sort of sort of a social art value. I don't know if that's the expression. I don't know, but you know they've got a value in the sense that they represent a time. But yet yeah, the content itself can still resonate today. But yeah, I mean, what is really exciting about watching some of these films is you know I'm obviously American, um, and I love England, and I love watching. You know, I, I, you know, it's like I live in London, and and all of these films are, you know, London centric, mm. um, unless they take place in a country house. But whatever, um, you know, it, he's capturing a moment of London's history as mm. well. That's kind of what. So there's that, you know, I mean, cool at Carol when they get into London, they're wandering around. Mm. There's this great shot of them kind of standing, some in Soho, and there's a, a theater, and whatever the production is, I. Feel like it might be Richard the Third, and it's starring Ian McKellen. <laughs> and now with him being such like a household name, mm. and then you see him on a billboard for a play <clears throat> in like nineteen seventy. Yeah, it's really it's a really kind of strange but immediately familiar. Mm. Is Pete as, you as an American though? Is, is is Pete Walker somebody you were watching before you come to England, or is he somebody you discovered while you were in England? Strangely, I think I was I was. Aware, you know, I think I, I don't think I'd seen Frightmare, but I was aware of Frightmare in the States. Um, okay. So I would say, in short, no. I might have seen Whipcord, actually. Okay. I might have seen Whipcord. But I didn't spend a lot of time watching. Um, I didn't, actually. I don't think I kind of really started fully appreciating British films until, you know, I'd kind of spent more time here. Um, Partly because 
I needed uh, the, the introduction I had to British films tended to be a lot more kind of the really shit Hammer films. Mm. I'm not a big Hammer film like a, a Hammer fan. I think yeah. it, 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 there there are moments in yeah. Hammer, you know, Plague of the Zombies being one of my favorites. But um, you know, I, I was busy getting stoned watching horror films when I was a kid. I didn't wasn't really mm. interested in, you know, I just wanted kind of more uh, vibrant. Action. Happening. If you think of it as a comparable, you've got, I mean, you mentioned, I, think, I don't know if you mentioned it now, or we mentioned it before, before we started recording, but, you know, Wes Craven was, what, 73, Toby Hooper was 74 with Texas Chainsaw. These were people making films outside of the studio system, but obviously they, they became, by 1980, very much part of mm. the developing <clears throat> genre that come out of studios, whereas people, like you, you meant that he, he, got, he did do what he can, but he never. Was compatible. He, he doesn't he, historically. He wasn't compatible with you know, anything I, I, approaching the mainstream. Why do you think that? I think that was a business decision. I think he he knew he could do it. Hmm. Um, but why not go in the in the latter part? You know, in that kind of as the as as we went into that commercial period in the eighties. Why do you think he didn't go? Because with, you couldn't. Because you know. Also, the British film industry changed. Hmm. You know, towards the end of the seventies. Um, or if not earlier um, and you know the heyday of making British films I mean what the films Walker made were kind of in the in the final years of of British film mm. you know um, yeah come 81 or 82 Thatcher got rid of the levy and then suddenly foreign pictures didn't happen. that was it so where was a film director going to then go mm. you know who was making you know and that's the other thing here's a you know here's a a guy who was in control of his money he was in control of every single element of, of his productions. He actively chose to make exploitative pictures, mm. you know, exploitation pictures. That's what he wanted to do. Yes. Um, you know, and even if, you know, Carpenter went and made Elvis, you know, Craven made his weird drama film that I haven't seen. Nor have I. Yeah, it's my. I want to say Meryl Streep is in it. Okay. Um, so you know everybody else sort of seems like at some point yeah. they kind of branched out and were like I'm a film director yeah, yeah. you know um, yeah Hooper did Poltergeist didn't he no that was Spielberg well yeah but Hooper started it <laughs> but that still fits within his genre what did he yeah yeah, did yeah. So. But he did Eggshells which was that weird yeah. fucking art film yeah but I suppose, but then I mean, that's the thing about fitting in because historically now exposition cinema sits with genres and every it, it, it butts up closer to a horror fan audience mm. than it does anything else. It certainly doesn't... It's, I don't think, from what I've seen, they're not smart enough to sort of fall neatly bit in with any kind of softcore pornography history that certainly took place in the 70s in Britain. Well, I mean, Cool It Carol could. Yeah. I mean, okay. Cool It Carol's definitely kind of sexploit, definitely sexploit. Well, let's look at, the, look at the collection you've chosen. You say you've done 16 films and you've chosen five. What, were your, what, was, your, what was your logic in, the, in your choices you made? The comeback, I mean, I really like the comeback, and I think it shows sort of his, his, his. You know, he was, he was, he made that film, and he was aware of what was happening on the continent. Yeah. You know, he knew what was happening in Italy. You know, it's it's definitely influenced by Italian cinema. Right. You know, um, Die Scream and Marianne, I think, is also very European feeling. Admittedly, it's shot in like. Spain, um, but I I didn't think Die Screaming is is as good a film 
Um, you know, we've got McGillivray coming along, um, who I've been speaking to about this for quite a while. Mm. Um, before any of the pieces kind of came together, I'd been speaking to McGillivray. All right. Um, and just kind of said, if I can pull this together, will you be interested? Mm. Um, and he was like, yeah, sure. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when I finally sent him the, uh, you know, sent him the email, I was like, look, I've got Pete Walker at the barbecue. You still interested? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, good God. Well done. <laughs> so, um, you can, know. can we talk anything about that? How did that, how did you, because you, you, you as Cigarette Burns, people who don't know, put on, put on stuff yourself under that name. You put on, and generally it's, it's 16 mil prints of stuff, isn't it? Mm. Is, that, is that your rule of thumb? Or? I try to focus on, uh, and this would be a, a, a completely separate podcast, um, I <laughs> uh, focus on film. Right. Is, is my primary focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think it's really important for film to still be screened. And um, so I work with, you know, I've screened at the Duke of York's Brighton, um, organized screenings in, you know, all over, you know, kind of all over the UK and mm. specifically in London, the ICA, Prince Charles, the Rio. Um, so I kind of pop around wherever there's a screen. The 16 mil stuff sort of came along through the fact that I collect film. Okay. And, you know, when I'm working within a cinema environment, there are restrictions on what I can show. Not really what I can show, but like, you know, there are expectations made of, you know, on a financial end. So commercial. Yeah. You can't show this because it won't get an audience. So yeah. Speak. Okay. But if I've got my 16 mil projector and I pop along to a venue with my 16 mil projector, all those are on my head, you know. The, those commercial failures are on my head. Okay. You know, it's my responsibility to lose mm-hmm. money, and it's only me that loses the money. And aside from my it's fairly noble ambition, yeah. But aside from my pride, there's nothing else at risk there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Whereas Prince Charles obviously needs to to justify the staff at the front desk and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So the sixteen mil stuff really kind of came out of me wanting to just kind of go. Do you know what? People, there are loads of good films <clears throat> that I own that you should come and watch, mm. and you know, it's it's a noble effort of mine. Um, so anyway, so uh, that's sort of what Cigar Burns does. And if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. How how did a Pete Walker season come about? What was your what was the process for you to get that on at the barbecue? Well, I pitched this this other season that I was working on, mm. and that wasn't going to fit in due to scheduling issues with them, um, and that particularly needed to be in a chunk. It had to run back to back. It needed okay. it needed to be a two day thing. Right, I've got you connected. Otherwise, which wasn't going to work. And so they were like, "All right, well." You know, we really like what you're doing. Like to work with you. You know, um, you know, why don't you come up with something that we can maybe spread out over a longer period of time? Mm. And I sort of felt that this again, as I said, I'd been talking. You know, I'd been wanting to do a Pete Walker thing for quite a while. I knew that 
McGillivray had already kind of tentatively agreed, mm. you know. Um, I had connections to Pete Walker so I could pitch it to him. And I was like, well, I could probably put together a Pete Walker retrospective if you think that suits the barbican. <laughs> um, I didn't say it like that. I said, you know what you need? You need some 70s British grot to go with the Barbican. Mm. Um, with that brutalist, lovely brutalist building. That's what you need. Um, and yeah, and, and it kind of snapped together. And to be perfectly honest, and this isn't ass kissy at all, working with Barbican has been an absolute mm. dream. So, like, not like dream come true, but like just really simple, mm. really easy and pleasant and... Um, yeah, great, great to to get it all together and, and exciting. And how was I mean? So you said you had connections to Pete Walker. Does that mean you knew him, or you had to say, "Look, Pete, we've we've got, we've I've secured these screenings. Would you be able to attend any of it?" It was a bit like that. Okay. Yeah. And how is how, how does he feel like? Because if you like you say as as a kind of almost like c- companion piece in Europe of R- Roger Corman, how does he feel now, sort of forty years on? Here somebody comes along and says, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna go to some British institution." That's, I know. think he thinks it's kind of funny. Um, you know, he did in two thousand nine. Um, there was a screening of *Frightmare* and uh, *House of Long Shadows* at the BFI, um, and I think he is he's just sort of quite. Um, just again, like I said, I think for him it's sort of like that was a period of my life. Hmm. You know, it's cool. People write books about me. Um, I don't really understand why. Uh, you know, I made these films and, you know, I don't think that, that this... So they haven't, they don't, seemingly haven't grown in, in sort of cultural significance to him like they have done no. in, in a British history sense. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think he's, you know, which I kind of find quite charming. Mm. That he's just sort of like, you know, um, yeah, if that's what you want to do, Sure. I'd probably be around for that. That's okay. Kind of like, you know, and you're like, um, you're getting a retrospective at the Barbican. I yeah. thought that would kind of, you know, get me a really happy, excitable man. But, um, you know. This is true to the where, the where the films come from, I yeah. suppose, in a way. I mean, it's kind of, he's playing, he's taking part, but it's not necessarily. He's, you know, I mean, and, and all of my correspondence with him, again, he's been, you know, really lovely and, and, um, and Keen um, it's just I think you know I think he's he's a focused person and mm. um, I think he is slightly bewildered by not bewildered because that would imply that he's you know he's, he's keenly aware but kind of like this is a bit silly isn't it really I mean these were films I made 40 years ago yeah 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 you know um uh, yeah, you're right because because it's 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 without without trying to say it. The minute you put the Barbican logo at the top of the poster, you're attaching some importance to it that yeah. When it's just in this DVD racks of fop, it doesn't have. Yeah, it's elevated because you know there's there was a lot you know there's been a lot of trash cinema made and certainly the seventies had its fair share, <laughs> you know, and certainly British British cinema output in the seventies. I'd had a lot of extra special trash <laughs> that, that got pumped out as well. You know? Yeah, and um, it's interesting that this is stuff that survived, and it's and and there's still a reason to go back to it. I mean, I, I mean, I would, you know, 
I think there's loads of fun stuff in the in the seventies that Britain put out. But um, yeah, I I, yeah. I don't mean to denigrate it. No, no, no. He, yeah, his is kind of a cream, whether he thinks it or not. Oh, that's, that's risen to the top. You know, and the D, once the DVD retrospective box that started coming, he was he was a prominent that was a prominent one that collectors were were banging on and happy to see on DVD and pub. Has it made it to Blu-ray yet? It it's it's on Blu-ray in the states on Redemption, yeah. uh, which are all Region One or B or whatever the kids yeah. use now, um, and it's they're slowly coming out quite quietly on Odeon. Um, Odeon put out much like Network put on loads of really great British stuff mm. just they don't bother to tell anybody about it <laughs> like, it's, the, it's the weirdest thing do you, see, do you see any evidence in British or American or European filmmakers of today of Pete Walker's influence do you see it anywhere is there anywhere you can yeah, yeah I mean where, yeah. where do you see his influence then I think he influenced I mean, I don't know how you know. Frightmare made it. Frightmare did make it to the states. Okay. What was a cinema release? Yeah. Okay. Um, Comeback made it to the states. Uh, well, Cool Carol made it to the states. Um, thinking about it, I think most of his films got distribution in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played, they played the grindhouses over there. Mm-hmm. He, you know he brought gore to the screen in a way he did set piece murders mm-hmm. you know he did that you know English language set piece murders in you know the early mid 70s which predominantly were being done by Italians you know yeah, those totally set, yeah, yeah, yeah. The set piece murders were done by Italians mm-hmm. he went and started doing them in English and you know Americans prefer to understand the film without too much fucking work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll watch an English language film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he definitely influenced that kind of, you know, upping the ante on the gore. You know, which isn't to say, you know, stuff like, obviously, because I just finished the last house on the left screenings, you know, that last house on the left and Texas Chainsaw are both hugely important. Um, but Walker is there, you know. Walker mm. Walker fits in that. If you know, if you were doing grindhouses, you were seeing those. Mm. I guess it comes down to the thing about what you were saying earlier that maybe Craven and, and Hooper were more cinephile literate making their films than maybe Craven definitely was not. You don't think so? No, not having watched Last House on the Left four times in the past few months it's a pile of shit filmmaking wise um, he knew he absolutely did not know what the fuck he was doing with that film Toby Hooper I, you know I'll probably get hung for this but I think he he struck really lucky with Texas Chainsaw Massacre because um, you know none of his other films I think touched that in terms of you know, an actual piece of filmmaking. Mm. Um, I mean, if, I'm, I'm, if, if we agree, which I think most people will agree, that Spielberg did uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not denying yeah. that. I just, yeah. I just know that Hooper's name was attached early doors. Yeah, no, well, you know, I mean... And he worked on it. <laughs> yeah, everybody's, you know, I mean, he's given director credit yeah, on yeah. the film, but it's a Spielberg movie through yeah. and through. But anyway, um, I think 
what was I saying? Oh, I think you were talking about, you know, those guys moving into a studio system. And I wonder, mm. and why Walker didn't, I think kind of that studio system existed in the States. Whereas yeah. I don't think that studio system existed. So the death of the British film industry was also kind of a, him as a businessman making these films going well, it ain't profitable no more. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, that studio system didn't exist and people were no longer in the 70s and, you know, in the, the early 80s, late 70s, going, right, we need more British grot, mm. you know, and that sort of kind of stuff. I find, it's one of the sad things I find when I, when you, because with the, with the distance of time, you look at that kind of 75 to 80 period of what was going on, and we were just trying to out-tit each other, really. It was like we weren't thinking in terms of making anything. And, 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 and what, you know, it was like, it was literally, the, it was the film equivalent of Fiddling While Rome Burns. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, um, yeah, there was, it was sort of a commercial, ce- we had a commercial cinema scene, you know, and admittedly a lot of the things going on were kind of TV tie-ins, you know, but people were going out to watch carry-on films on the buses and clearly in the scene where Walker existed and you go, they, people were going out to watch it, yeah. Something went. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the politics are and what the studio. What was happening? Obviously, Hammer ran out of steam and Amicus ran out of steam. But just at that time, the U.S. studio system started picking up steam in terms of you know bringing those you know renegade outside directors like Craven, like mm. Carpenter, like Hooper, you know, on board and saying, mm. right, come in with us, make. A studio picture with yeah, us. The, 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 old, the old tour got, got dragged into the yeah. system and then lost, and then suddenly there wasn't room anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, it was sort of he he had that, but that's what's kind of really cool about Walker is that he does that little moment of time, and he is really, you know, I've spent a lot of time kind of discussing this with friends and thinking about it, and you know, you had Freddie Francis, you had Norman J. Warren, and stuff like that, but you know, in terms of uh, people who were working outside of the studio industry uh, and and really knocking stuff out, he's the only kind of director that did that, mm. you know, and laid it out and went, "This is what I'm doing. I'm sticking by this." And mm. you know, for right or wrong, um, you know, and I think you know, Freddie Francis did some amazing stuff, but the majority of the stuff, you know, that he did was you know there was this once you get stuck within that british you know hammer kind of thing you're not really making i don't think you're really making your own films yeah in the same way as you know uh legend of the hell house is john ho's film which is absolutely amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know you can see that that you know then he did twins of evil which is like a hammer film and you can see the difference between the two. You're like, Jesus, how did you how did you go from make these two films back to back? You know, I never thought of that one, actually. And that's because one's within this crazy studio system that's going. This is how you do it. Mm. I mean, you know. So what are you, are you presumably you, with with the way you with, these are being shot on film? You know, the whole season was. So you were asking why I picked these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean the comeback is the comeback, and I really felt like if 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 a man and I like the film and it's a good film and it's a genuinely interesting film when you kind of again go back to this kind of putting Walker in perspective and seeing what he's doing and what his influences are mm. and, and how relevant he is within that kind of little time period in terms of kind of that you know England in its little strategic position between America and Europe 
Hmm. You know, and how the comeback fits into that. Okay. Um, plus, again, you know, I, you're going to do something a, a retrospective. You can start with the comeback, aren't you? Uh. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, and then again, Mortelson was McGillivray. McGillivray's, in, you know, involved. So I wanted to highlight uh, McGillivray's film. So Whipcord and Frightmare being kind of his biggest biggest film fitting that fifth one cooler carol was kind of the most difficult because i couldn't quite i wanted to show that he didn't just do this sort of terror film as it were yeah um but i liked men of violence i didn't like die screaming marianne um just yeah i cooler carols is a really sweet charming um sleazy kind of catches you off guard film mm. like really nice little so I thought you know break that out throw that in but of course because of my kind of I should only show prints um, I also chose these films because um, prints were available right for these films so I mean there were a couple others but then as the whole progress moved forward we found out that some of the prints were in less better shape than even I would generally show mm. um, so we've had to drop them so unfortunately uh, Kula Carol and Frightmare are currently the only ones that are on film oh, right. um, the other ones are new HD transfers yeah um, and but it's interesting that the Barbican has, is, is geared for both though then, I, yeah, I mean and stage. again they've been the Barbican's been really 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 supportive about getting the films in doing it on film I will say with some degree of certainty certainty that this is gonna be the last time you'll see Frightmare or Cool Carol on film probably forever yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay, well, there you go. There's one to. I mean, I, I, you know. For the purists, they're going to get out for anything. That's yeah. I did. You know that I that's kind of. I and I, the comeback was almost on film, and that fell away at the last second. Um, there was some real kind of like fighting tooth and nail. Getting getting stuff on film full stop is can be quite difficult. Who who who, who has that? I mean, who could that? I remember talking. I, I remember just having a tweet conversation with, Prince Chaff. With Prince Chaucer about whether they were going to do a 40th anniversary uh, Texas Chainsaw uh, exhibition, and they were saying there was nobody had the rights at the moment to even show. They didn't have any way of getting hold of it to show it in the UK. I think that's all changed, obviously, because it's well finally celebrating. But who, who are, these aren't films that are necessarily readily available on an open market, are they? Because Pete Walker um, is Pete Walker, he owns all. He he. Oh, so it's down to here. It's, it's, it's in his hands. Which is part of the reason I knew the season could work. Because... Of course, yes. Because yeah. I, I kind of knew that... that well, umpteen different stakeholders going... Well, that Walker right. owned... A, Walker owned all the rights. Mm. Um, and B... Um, and you know, finding rights for films is like... Really, really difficult sometimes. So the theory is, is that so-and-so owns the rights and then you start speaking to them and they're like, I don't own the rights anymore. I gave it to this person. And then they go, well, I don't own the rights anymore either. I gave it to this person. Mm. So you end up doing this kind of real runaround and, and you know, you are kind of just chasing, you're like a cat chasing a laser dot. Um, and hopefully, you know, 
the human turns off the light at some point because you just go forever. And that's, you know, so I, I was under the impression that Walker owned the rights. Mm. Um, he stints passed them on to somebody else. Um, so, but along with that, he'd passed the prints on. So I was able to access some of the prints. Um, specifically, when you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. uh, because I had sourced two different prints of Texas Chainsaw yeah. and wanted to do August 18th, 40th anniversary screening mm. on film. Uh, unfortunately, in advance of the 4K restoration, mm. they've kind of put a foreseeable stop on any 35 mils or 16 screenings. Well, that explains the conversation that we've yeah. finished out really, don't I suppose, if it's, that's, that's the kind of big release, isn't it? So they, they've kind of, so, you know, a lot of the time studios will say, you know, in advance of X, we're not going to show, you know, you, you, because we've got this HD out, we've mm. spent all the money in that, we think that's really important. It's like, a, ba- it's like a band being at a festival, isn't it? Yeah. You're not allowed to play any gigs in the foreseeable yeah. Yeah. near future. Which is, which, you know, is fine, but, you know, I don't really have any interest in showing... Texas Chainsaw you, Massacre on any other day other than the 40th anniversary on August 18th. Fair play. <laughs> do, do, you, do, you, do you see, with, with sort of working with a place like the Barbican, do you see this, you know, let's, let's, let's fast forward and say this has been a success and you've got people coming out to watch this kind of film. Does this open up conversations then with, with, the, uh, with the Barbican to look at other aspects of, of that kind of cinema grot that, was, that existed over the 70s that's worth the kind of reappraisal? I think that because that I agree, I think it would. I mean, one of my favourite exhibitions at the Barbican was full stop. Was they did a retrospective of Punk, which mm. which 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 wasn't necessarily you know pointing out the 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 whys and wherefores. It had things like they recreated the Genesis Bureau's exhibition that was at the ICA. Oh, wow. Plus they filled the wall with all the headlines that it created. So to me, that was kind of like that's the real that's real pop culture history as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Because I wasn't there, but I knew. The mythology about it, then to be confronted with it, and you go a bit like what we what we started earlier in this conversation. You read what the reaction was, and you go, "We haven't moved on." No. You present somebody with something they don't understand, and they immediately go, "Heretic!" Just yeah. like it's the witch finder general all over again. But except we're, we're talking about a picture of a nude person or a, a <laughs> shouty song, and it's really interesting that that, that there's still a, we still in this day and age have. A reaction to popular culture that is we don't understand it therefore it's wrong and we don't want it if you don't already subscribe to britflix just sign up for free at itunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it or follow at britflix on twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly thank you what i would say about the barbican is that they've been putting on a lot of really interesting shows mm. um, and if you look at their cinema programming they're starting to reach out which I think is this fits into that yeah, like yeah, they're yeah. starting to put on more interesting programming choices you know they did the de- digital evolution thing mm. um, they're you know I mean, do, you I, this is a rea- do you think this is a reaction to we live in a world of infinite choice now don't we yeah. which means which means we also live in a complete a lot of fragmentation of actually where I'm meant to you know, you can you go oh, go here or go there, and then you go you go nowhere because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. Whereas this is, I mean, you know, for the lazy consumer of popular culture, it's like going here. You go five weekends running, go and see a film from the seventies that, that that maybe some people have forgotten about. Well, I think, I think, and I mean, you know, I, I you know, this is part of what I think cigarette burns is, but um, you know, you're right. We live in a world with unlimited choice. Hmm. 
um, and you know, I know, you know, I go to a restaurant to order food and there's a massive menu. I've got no idea. And all I want is somebody to go, this is what you want. <laughs> you know, this is what you desire. Yes. You know, and so, you know, I think with all of this unlimited choice and all of this internet freedom and musical freedom and everything like that, you know, what we need are curators. And I think yes. that's where people like Spencer at Death Waltz come in because, you know, people go, oh, I don't have to think anymore. You know, not, you know, no, yeah, maybe I don't have to think anymore because sometimes it's nice not to have to think. No, no, I think, trust, I mean, sub-pop singles work yeah, quite well. Exactly. In the past. Yeah, so you just kind of go, you know, it's like, I trust that. I trust yeah. that. Whatever's yeah. going to come out of that, you know? And that's sort of, for me, I, kind of what I try to do with Cigarette Burns is like, you know, you may not know this film. Mm. You know, you may never have heard of Skip Tracer, but... Which I've not, I might add, for the rest <laughs> But, <laughs> you know, I'm going to show it on 16mm, and I promise you, you're going to like it. Mm. You know, you might not have heard of it, but just come along, give mm. it a pun, you know? And it's sort of... You know, without all of you know, with all of this choice, we just get lost in this quagmire of of just fuzz. Mm. You know, and all you need is somebody to go. You know, and I don't think it's an egotistical thing to say. I think you know, we really do. You know, we've all sat in front of a DVD collection, gone. I don't know what the hell to watch, and all yeah. you want is your your girlfriend or wife or boyfriend or whatever cat walk over and go, "We're watching that tonight." Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. like, yes, thank you. Well, no, I mean, my, my, the, a guy I'm working with making a film, he's started his own independent distribution called Superkino. And his, the, the, his offer is, you pay £45 a year, and four times a year, you'll get a new DVD in a beautiful little package that, that has been found at an obscure film festival that won't get released in this country properly. Oh, it's wow. limited to 500 Or you can pay £25 and get it unlimited v- on, on VOD. Or... Ten pound a year and get and go and see and see each film once. That's really cool. And again, it's not you're not you're not picking it yourself. You're going. I trust your judgment. This as is someone filtering film festivals. <laughs> it's completely. I think that's sort of you know. And if it's a, what was ATP doing? You mm. know, it's that same thing. It's we are in a world now where we need the curator more than we ever have before, and you know, if. Yeah, it's like, it's like it, 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 for a, for a short while the internet revolution, the internet boom, was was almost like the expert is 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 not needed anymore because I I can be a rockabilly expert in, in, in about half an hour. Yeah. Whereas that's not true at all, and equally I can't be a thrash metal expert. <laughs> I can't be I can't be a French porn expert, and there are people that have got this under who've bothered to yeah. take the time out, and I think it's more interesting to get there. Get their take on because it. you can easily go and you can read the wiki page and you can you can you can bone up and you can have a passing conversation on it, you know. But to really, you know, to get the person who goes, you know, I promise you, come down and watch Cool It Carol, because mm. that's a hidden gem. You know, without without question, Cool yeah. It Carol, you're gonna go, wow, that was, you know, that was really something. Mm. Um, and people are going to feel comfortable because they're familiar with Frightmare. They know it. Yeah, yeah, But it's like, you know, take a punt, take a chance. I mean, and, and that's what you do when you, you know, get lost on the internet, clicking from one thing to another. Is you, 
take a pint, you get a chance, you know, take a chance. And when you go, and, and obviously when you go down to the cinema and you, you're making it, you're, you're making it, you're investing your time yeah. in, in the experience. And if you, with, with you having the Q&As attached to films, there's that chance in the afterglow of the movie, whether you liked it or not, for someone then to do some, some sort of reappraisal. I'm guessing there'll be open floor questions as well as the, the, the sort of intense kind of somebody doing a Q&A like we're doing on the podcast. Yeah, we, I we, think we, so with Walker, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's remind people of the, the films that are showing and when they're showing. So we've got The Comeback uh, on the 1st of November at 4pm mm-hmm. at the Barbican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got House of Mortal Sin with... Kim Newman and writer David McGillivray, uh, 4 p.m. on the 8th of November. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, on the 15th of November, we've got Cool It Carol with an introduction by Matthew Sweet. On the 22nd of November, is that right? That's the one I always screw up. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. 22nd at 4 p.m., We've got Pete Walker along with uh, in conversation with Jonathan Rigby for House of Whipcord. Um, and finally, on the 29th of November at 4 p.m., again at the Barbican, we've got Fright Night with an introduction by Jonathan Rigby. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think all in all, it'll be, it'll be a great, it'll be a great season. I think, you know, you come away hopefully wanting, mm. wanting to watch more Walker, but hopefully wanting to explore more of kind of 70s British genre stuff. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.